Hello, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, it's Trickle Up Politics. You're dialed in correctly. Today, we got a good show. We'll be talking about the inauguration, breaking down our reactions. We'll be talking about some of the performances, Amanda Gorman's beautiful poem, Biden's speech, what it all means, of course. Talk a little bit about Bernie and bundled up with those mittens. <laughs> we'll talk about some of the uh, executive orders that were signed that day and uh, probably the ones this week as well. Uh, as We've had a flurry of action this last week from the incoming administration. And we'll kind of talk about not what it means necessarily for us, because I think you hear a lot about that, but what it means to people that we love, um, that are close to us, um, and what this what this time really means. So sit back, relax, or if you're in your car, don't relax. I hope you're driving, but listen while you're driving as well. <laughs> and enjoy the show. Start live in three, two, one. All right, Sean, here we are. We made it. Wow. Do you feel that? Do you hear that? Uh, uh, you know, our federal government is essentially working again, um, but we can't go back to sleep. True, true. But yes, I, I do. I do feel it. Uh, it, it is an, an amazing relief. And you know what is actually even more amazing? Uh, my, my children already feel it. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about a six and an eight-year-old recognizing differences uh, in a presidency within a week, uh, that says a lot. That says a lot. Because <laughs> they don't give a shit. And yet they can see a difference. So um, it's pretty amazing. Um, but I, I'd probably make them watch too much news and listen to too much NPR, given the fact that they can tell a difference. But it, it is still amazing to me. That it, it just, it, yeah, it, it's, it reverberates all throughout. Like it just... <sighs> it's incredible how we haven't had the benefit, the benefits of a federal government for four years. And we're looking at this as like, Whoa, this is, this is surprising. It's like, what, wait, wait a minute. They're, they're doing that for us. And it's not, not to benefit uh, anybody in the the administration. It's actually for us. Wow. Yeah. I think for me, you know, right away, first full day of the Biden administration and there's a press, a press briefing. Um, and to think that a simple press briefing is something um, amazing and uh, so transparent and just so different uh, was really incredible. And I, I love that the new press secretary ended that with, hey, this was fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah, yep, back to normal. Yeah, and I forgot her name. Her name is Jen Psaki. I think the P is silent, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I even like, though, that the media still did pressure, press press her by pressuring her, 
um, on certain questions. I, I still like that, you know, I like that from the media. Um, that is important because they're, they're up there to be watchdogs and they're not there to be a lap dog, which I was afraid was going to honestly happen um, with the Trump administration. And honestly, with, with Biden as well, um, we, we still need um, journalism to work for us. And yeah, you know, I, I think one of the saddest things about the Trump presidency was his all out frontal attack on the press. And, you know, this is such a, a tactic of, of strong men, as you call them, or want to be dictators or fascists. Um, it, it's just a, a typical tactic that they take. And our, our forefathers, and again, you know, conservatives who want to be constitutionalists need to go and read the Federalist Papers. They need to understand the history and uh, the freedom of the press. And in the First Amendment was intentional. And many of our forefathers talked about that as kind of a, a fourth house of government. Yes, right? absolutely. And in the absolute need for us to have a free press uh, who had the ability to speak truth to power. And when we attack that, and when we assume that our, our brothers and sisters uh, in, the, in the civilian world, if you will, who make up the press corps don't have our best interest at heart, uh, I, I think it's a real problem because we, mm -hmm. ha we have to rely on the press to tamp down the dictator. Yes. Right. Like that, that is the purpose of a free press is to ensure that we are no longer a monarchy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so the idea of creating them as the enemy, uh, it just sickens me. So yeah. Uh, it is great to see the press continue to do their job. And not, so that's the thing is uh, these branches of government held up. Uh, there was checks and balances throughout this, uh, that administration through the last four years. And we, we kind of uh, missed that, the, that the press did too. It held up, mm. it held up um, another structure of our democracy. So uh, I, I think um, there's credit to be, to be um, due there. Um, so anyway, uh, let's, uh, kind of recap though, the inauguration because that's, uh, what our show is about today. Um, so it begins, um, with some good performances. You got Lady Gaga, JLo, great performances, just beautiful. I mean, okay. uh, there was some, there was some lady power. Yes. Uh, happening. Yeah. It was, it was pretty incredible. Um, the fashion that the ladies mm -hmm. were pulling off uh, was amazing. Uh, I wish that I wish that men would start to like get rid of the suit and tie and actually try <laughs> to do something different. I'm sure you uh, could yeah, give give the supporters with your uh, you know Christmas it, suits and <laughs> it is it is pretty fucking boring. Um, but uh, honestly, the the fashion uh, was something uh, to be marvelled at. I and and I think it shows that we're in the middle of a pandemic and I haven't seen a red carpet for a while because mm -hmm. normally I don't care. But this time I was like, Oh, Michelle Obama is looking fly. <laughs> and Jill Biden with that, <laughs> Jill Biden with that blue, uh, 
dress and everything like that with the matching you know mask and mm-hmm. yeah no, right I'm, I'm sorry michelle obama just needs to run for president and like yes. get it over with because that woman looks like she should rule the world yeah yeah let me correct myself dr dr jill biden dr jill biden. yes she's um, a fucking doctor that's what yeah. a phd does for you exactly um so yes, uh, some some wonderful wonderful things to see. It's like it was like this flower blooming after these this darkness, right? And we you know we get to celebrate a little bit. And like you said, in the midst of a pandemic, it's it's just it's it's a sight for sore eyes. Um, and yeah, you, you know, I'll push back a little bit on on that statement because I I think there's there's a point where. I agree with you in terms of, you know, it was beautiful to see. And there was some of this idea of the clouds parting type uh, feel. But the truth was that it was really a flower blooming in uh, a greenhouse that was temperature controlled (laughs) and managed and maintained, right? Because um, it, it did not have the feel or the uh, pageantry of what we're used to in an inauguration. Sure. So yeah, it, it, it really was this kind of bifurcated feel to me in terms of, I am extremely happy and I know that politics is going to change for the better. It's still not gonna be everything I want it to be, but it's changing for the better in this moment. And at the same time, they're panning to crowds of armed national guard um, mm-hmm. and and no other spectators uh to yeah. be seen you know and so yeah. um for me yeah i agree with you beautiful but uh we we really kind of uh, we green we greenhoused and i, the I beauty. i appreciate you yes i appreciate you saying okay let's come back down to reality a little bit here it, it, you know <laughs> and uh, that's my thing yeah <laughs> and and say you know there's still this all this stuff going on right now and it, but for yeah for we can't get caught up in that moment i agree that it's important to reel us back in a little bit because there's still some reality that's happening out there happening out there um obviously there um is a pandemic that's killed over 400,000 people in the United States and there are people that are struggling every single day to make me make ends meet so yeah um it, it's good to reel it in a little bit yes yeah and there's a, you know there's a Republican party who seems mm-hmm. complacent with uh treason Mm -hmm. and um sedition Mm -hmm. and and that scares me it it truly scares me that we're still at this point that you have members of the house uh trying to get onto the house floor with weapons um you have members of the house whose uh, social media is clearly showing sick behavior yeah, I, I I say a lot of crazy shit <laughs> on social media, but I've I've never advocated 
to assassinate someone. Yeah. And members of the Republican caucus and the House have advocated for assassination. Mm. And those same individuals are complaining that they can't bring a fucking gun to the floor (laughs) of the House. So I just, I'm really concerned with where the Republican Party is at. And I think they need to do some soul searching about what what does this mean for their party, that these are the things you're advocating for. It, yeah, actually that, and that's a whole subject and show of its own, I'd say, um, is what exactly do they need to do? Because not only did they you know lose the presidency, they uh, lost the Senate and the Democrats still held on to the House, even though it was um, surprising with the, the, the how, uh, gains that they made in the House, the Republicans, but still. It's not, it's not that surprising when they've been gerrymandering right. for the last fucking 60 years to ensure that they can rule with a minority. Mm-hmm. The Republicans have ruled with a minority for decades. And, you know, two presidents of the Republican party did not even win the majority of votes in this yeah, country. That's like right. The, the honest truth people. is yeah. they rule from a minority position mm-hmm. and they do that through gerrymandering, which is built off the back of segregation and Jim Crow. There's a reason they don't want you to count votes. That's why they suppress votes and they've done it forever is because they are the minority. They're the minority party. They know it, but they're built off of white, rich motherfuckers who hold power. And so they're able to do that. And until, until poor working class folks of all stripes and colors and religions and which hole they fuck until all those people come together, they're going to keep doing it because of gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and like like you're saying, they yeah, it's the it not and and it goes federally too, right? It goes to the the, the federal offices of uh, electoral college, you know, um, or I should say, and the, the Senate itself, which is federally, yeah, the the Senate itself is is created on disproportionality uh, in terms of of power. And, you, you know, they did that intentionally in some yep. ways, our forefathers, but I, I don't think that they completely understood um, the ramifications of that. Right. In, in terms of, in terms of some of their idealistic thought, mm-hmm. right. And, yeah. and that's one thing I know I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but <laughs> yeah, we both are, <laughs> um, you know, that's one thing I think we have to look at in terms of the, the founding fathers is yes, they had some really good idealism and really good forethought in terms of how to structure a government like they did. Um, And at the same time, they were slave owners, rich white men. And so those two things went into the document, right? Their, their idealism is there, but so, so is the structures of racism that persist today. And the Senate is one example of that. And you see what, um, yeah, but, you see, but that's the thing with electoral college. You see who it benefits the most. Yeah. Um, since the, the since the year two thousand, 
uh, only once had they won the uh, popular vote. Um, in the year 2000. <laughs> you really had to drop them in there, didn't you? I think we're going to cut that part and use that anytime we talk about Bush. And <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, to get back on subject, because we're actually, you know, we're kind of foreshadowing future episodes when it comes to, you know, uh, the electoral college and what the Republicans need to do. Even what, you know, at some point we'll probably talk about what Democrats need to do. Um so anyway, with the inaugurations, kind of re, uh, kind of recentering here, um, I'm glad, honestly, that th- for for these reasons, um, that Donald Trump wasn't there. Uh, the reasons that we talked about earlier. It's that it, you know that every freaking five seconds, the the networks would have panned over to him, him with a scowl on his face, and it would have been all about him. And so I'm glad he wasn't there. And honestly, I almost think that the Biden team could have actually even said. No, we don't fucking want you there. <laughs> well, I mean, Biden Biden did say that it was one of the few things that they agreed on is that he shouldn't yeah. be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with you again. And, and not not because I don't agree with what you're saying in terms of the, the networks would have been cutting to him and he would have been throwing a little hissy fit in the corner and pouting, um, which would have been a bad look for the US, I, I agree with all of that. But in the end, I I have a thing for tradition, right? I I like that we that we go through the pageantry of all of this because I think it speaks to the power of our ideals. And do we live up to them? No. We don't, we never have, we, we never have, and we, we may never get there. Although I, I'd like to believe that we will, but I, I think the pageantry and the, you know, the history and the traditions are a part of that, of, of yeah. upholding that. And so yeah. to have a president throw a fit like a four-year-old child because he lost and he's going to take his ball and go home before anybody else can play anymore. It's just ridiculous. Of course, it it is. Shows, well, Trump is ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And it shows that he cares about himself mm-hmm. more than he cares about this country. But, and and that is sad to me. Yes, it, absolutely. And, and I, I agree that um, that tradition is important because it does speak to our democracy. But wouldn't you say, like, looking back in history then, or it were uh, was. Uh, the future looks back on us. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that they they could point to that and be like, okay, um, th- those were not normal times. This was not a normal president, and so therefore, you know, normal things did not happen. And they, you know, in, in a way, doesn't um, normalize uh, his presidency. Could you make that yeah. argument? You think? Yeah, I think that's a strong argument, and I, I think it's fitting. I believe the last president that didn't show up to an inauguration was uh, Andrew Jackson, who was also a yeah. piece of shit president, right? So, yeah. um, you know, also murdered. Okay, I won't say murdered. That's inappropriate, but also uh, had the the blood of thousands uh, of people on his hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just like this president, in my opinion, has the blood of thousands of people on his hands. Um, so it is fitting uh, that those two uh, rest in history together. Um, and you're right. 
uh, both of them uh, were abnormal presidencies and, and abnormal times. And so uh, in a way that is fitting, I, I, I once again, uh, even though I, I can't stand the man, have to have to give praise to Mike Pence for sitting there um, and, and going through that, knowing mm-hmm. everything that has happened to that man. Um, you know, he, he deserves to be recognized for mm-hmm. that. He actually represented the administration there, uh, the, the traditional sense of it. Yeah. Um, that is um, traditional as you, you know, as yeah. with air quotes, <laughs> as you could say, yes. Um, so yes, the swearing in our, of our first um, female vice president um, and first uh, black and Asian uh, vice president. Um, it really marked the day, honestly. So as I was sitting there uh, watching that, uh, that's when <laughs> that's when the tears started to to well in my eyes. And I look over at my wife, and she's the same things happening. And uh, it, was, it was such a moment in in our history uh, of this of this country. And whew, yeah, um, really, you know. Honestly, I don't know. It, it's 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 one of the highlights of the whole day. Um, I know it's such a long day and such a historic day, but that is that's that's what made it, man. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful too. Um, father of of two little girls, um, six and eight, and mm-hmm. uh, for them. Uh, to be able to see somebody that looks like them mm-hmm. uh, is, well, kind of. I mean, they're both little white girls with red hair, but you get my point. But yes, yes. Um, it, it does mean a lot. And they, they they see that, they recognize that, they recognize the history of it. And so um, mm-hmm. definitely uh, a moment for me as well. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so that's the thing is you, look um across the country across the world even and you see um a woman in power like that and and it empowers so many um so many so many across the world in our in our society in our country and everything (sighs) yeah beautiful moment and and so I, and I see, you know, I see her up there, you know, talking and everything like that. And it just, it just, it just hits me. And every time, you know, it's just like, holy shit. That's the vice president. It's one step away from being president. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of the election of Barack Obama and really yeah. the, the just surrealness of it. The, the recognition of history and you know, moving into a new era, mm-hmm. you know, the backlash to that was mm-hmm. Trump, obviously, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does feel like we're headed that direction again. And, and really Biden's cabinet is, is so incredible in and of itself. You know, Pete Buttigieg being the, the yeah. first openly gay man mm-hmm. uh, to, to be uh, in the cabinet, just, all of these firsts, you know, the uh, first woman to head the Fed and he's, he's done a really remarkable job of recognizing the need of this nation 
to see yeah. itself reflected in government right. at all levels. And <laughs> I, I believe that he sees that as the medicine we need mm -hmm. for our soul, right? He talks about saving our soul. I, I really believe that that's what he sees as the medicine for it. I, I think that we will continue to see uh, pushback from the establishment uh, against that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're moving in the right direction. Yes. And... And that's the thing is, you know, you know, you hear people say like, oh, well, why do you have to point it out? Why do you have to point it out? It's like, well, for that freaking reason alone is, is that people can relate. People that can, you know, see Pete Buttigieg or see a Native American woman um, who I believe is housing. Uh, no, not housing, land. Land, um, that's right. And I can't, I cannot think of the actual uh, Department of the Interior, Secretary yeah, Department of the Department Interior. of the Interior. And yeah, which is amazing in and of itself, right? To think that um, a, a native would 200 and some years later uh, yeah. to finally have some say in what's actually happening. And, and, and to, to such a, yeah, it's just, the parallels there to it right the department of land and interior right yeah. uh, yes it's just and and for like like you know like we we're saying it's like people can relate to that and and feel empowered in that and that empowers them to take part in our democracy take part in our democratic process where we've been you know so beaten down for so long that people just became complacent but for people to see that light like that, it, it gives hope. And that's why it's so important. Yeah. And it's a, it's a beautiful uh, strategic move by the democratic party as well, yes. uh, because I think you just spoke to, um, you know, there, there is strategy behind that mm -hmm. in, in terms of the cementing a voting block, right. And allowing people from those voting blocks to see that this party is reflecting you in the, in the leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll see if that works. It's never been done quite as transparently uh, and definitely not as robustly as the Biden administration is doing it. Uh, I'll be fascinated to see uh, the politics of it, right? The get out the vote drives and, and those mm -hmm. kind of things that that will be built off of the back of some of this. It'll be interesting to see what the success of those things are. Yes. Uh, but past the politics of it yes. and, and just to the, the heart of it, it's the right thing to do as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're building, you're building your brand on the, on the right thing to do. And I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, so taking that, what we were just talking about and, and going into what we'll talk about next here is the speeches, uh, the poem and the speech. So we'll kind of uh, run through a Biden speech here real quick. Um, what really jumped out at me um, was the theme of his speech. Of course, like we all, everybody say, yeah, unity, of course. Yes, that's really the big theme there. But it was also this interesting thing that I noticed is that he uses the Capitol Hill or Capitol, Capitol building 
as this like um, object, first our object to represent democracy and how it was, how it had been under attack, not just, you know, this year, but um, in the civil war when it was constructed and, um, and other points of, of history where there's been incidences that have happened there. And he uses that as an object to represent a, that larger meaning of our, of our democracy. And I thought that was just so incredible. Um, you know, because he draws the parallels as we are standing here today. We're standing here today and, and to think two weeks ago, um, it, it's a world of difference. Um, but I like this uh, um, quote in, from there, um, is that we must meet these moments as the United States of America. And he, he says, United States of America. And it reminded me a little bit of FDR, a little bit of FDR in there, it, you know, um, as his, during his presidency, we we're dealing with the Great Depression and World War II and all these, uh, all these things. So it, there's some parallels to there I noticed um, because we are, we are facing unique issues of our time. And not to say, you know, even FDR back then had to deal with um, division. You know, he, he didn't just, you know, he, he had a win over with the Green De or Green New Deal, with just the New Deal back then. <laughs> um, it's been so part of my vernacular now that it's like, <laughs> um, but he had to win people over on the New Deal. He had to win people over even with the war, you know, because he had like Charles Lindbergh, who was actively against it. And he was, you know, gaining support. So even then um, there was some division, but that's the thing now is like, we have this, you know, these unique set of uh, uh, issues in our time with the pandemic, with divide and, and just, it just really speaks to exactly what we need to do is meeting the moments that as we always have as the United States. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a pretty clear message around unity. I think he said it almost 20 times um, yeah. uh, in that speech. And I, I think your compare, comparison to FDR is really accurate. Um, he, he openly uh, has a love affair with FDR. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he, he finds him to be uh, one of the, the great uh, leaders of uh, American history, he mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he, qu he quotes them quite often. Yeah. I don't think people recognize quotes um, that we kind of just think are part of the, the lexicon, right? Uh, but talking about it, it gets harder before, before it gets better. Mm -hmm. um, that may not be the exact quote, but that language uh, is FDR language and Biden has really taken hold of that through the, the pandemic and FDR spoke of that concept uh, consistently through the depression. So uh, I definitely think that we will continue uh, to, to see Biden call on, uh, on FDR and, and his leadership style, yeah. um, his and his kind of audit, what's the word I'm looking for? His, uh, his speaking style mm -hmm. uh, as well. And not, yeah, and, and that's the thing with, with Biden is um, 
is that he's not only facing divide between Republicans, Democrats, we're, we're facing this huge divide even uh, in wings of the, their own parties, right? I mean, I mean, it's clearly distinct in the Republican Party with this fascist wing versus this moderate, I guess, or just, just Republicans of the last 40 years. And then Democrats is, you know, establishment Democrats, you, you know, and then progressive wing. Um, so there's not only divide between liberal conservatives, there's divide between uh, each wing. <laughs> so there's four different wings that he really has to uh, manage through. Um, so that'll be a particular challenge to him. And I think that it's a very smart strategy to use those, um, that, that philosophy of, of FDR, because like I said, you know, it, you know, people do forget that he was facing a divided nation back then and a nation that was down in despair. I mean, like in the, in the great depression, anything could have happened. We could have fallen to fascism back then very easily and nearly did. Um, you know, so I think there, there's some, definitely some strong parallels there. And, and just like with that, he challenges us to come together. He challenges America to come together. Um, almost as like a, like, not as a plea, but a say, I, I dare you to. <laughs> yeah, I think this comes back to a little bit of what I was talking about before in terms of American idealism. This has been a part of, of who America is for forever. Uh, we were founded on idealism. And there's a lot of people out there who are skeptics. And idealism doesn't feel realistic uh, to that, that segment of the population. I think a lot of Republicans fall into that, that category. And, and I, I felt like Biden was willing mm -hmm. to, to go back to American idealism. Yeah. To talk about the ideals of unity, of coming together around big issues and solving big problems and recognizing that the small stuff doesn't matter. That we need to get past some of the pettiness. Um, and I think he spoke best to this when he when he spoke of, uh, we need to get past this uncivil war. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that was, it was beautifully uh, orated in my opinion. Um, it was the best, the best line to me was that idea of this uncivil war that we have been participating in. Mm -hmm. uh, reminded me somewhat of the Cold War, right? The, the yeah. coining of the term Cold War. Um, this uncivil war mm -hmm. was something that I, I really latched onto and appreciated. And I think speaks to uh, kind of his persona Biden's persona in particular around being methodical and, and slow and thoughtful and caring and empathetic, right? All of those things that we attribute to civility, he, he really kind of um, just shines with those, those qualities. And so I think he did a really good job of speaking to that concept. Yes, absolutely. And 
and, and what's also interesting is that he does he does call it call out white supremacy he does call that out in that speech and it's um i thought that was particularly interesting because um kind of like what i was saying you know he's facing this fractured uh uh political spectrum here in our in our country um but is that to say that we will not negotiate with you we will not bring that to the table we do not go there you know this is not our country this is not democracy you know um those because those viewpoints they are not philosophical you know they're, they're there to destroy and and destroy people there's no philosophy in that and so yeah i just want to be clear that i didn't mean to like let's bring fascists to the table like no um <laughs> so I think that he, him calling that out in particular and saying, um, we will defeat white supremacy in this country because that is a threat to, to our ideals as America. So I think that. Yeah, it has to happen. Uh, yeah. He's, he's standing at the very spot of an insurrection Mm -hmm. And he he knows that that will not be the end of of that fight. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, the Canadian government just uh, classified the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. Yeah, the U.S. government should be doing the same yes. thing. It yes. was our capital that they attacked, mm -hmm. planned and executed an insurrection and yet the canadian government classifies them as terrorists and our government is still having a debate about if it's mean to call republicans who won't denounce them racist like get over yourself you're a fucking racist mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. this point just own it mm -hmm. Right. I, I think that's part of what really irritates me is like you want to have this debate like we're so mean for calling you a racist. You know, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. You know it. Yeah. Holly, just admit it. Like then we can at least have a real conversation. Yeah. Well, at least we know exact. Well, we do know who they are, but now now you can at least say like. Let's yeah. have an honest, open conversation yeah. about how you're racist. Yeah, be honest with yourself. And and well, and they dog. So that's the thing with the you know with you know there's a whole another um, subject of his own, but um, but a subject that we that that gets brought up a lot with us in our conversations because it's so pertinent is the um, Southern strategy. They dog whistled for so long. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, now not all of a sudden, but it slowly turns into this bullhorn. <laughs> and, and and yet when you call it out for what it is, yeah, they want yeah. they want to cry like you've disrespected them. Yeah. But yet you're openly supporting organizations yeah. who openly say that they're white nationalists. Right. Well, it's right? kind of like you know, Oh, like the Proud Boys. I forget how they describe it. They're, how do they describe it? It's really odd. They talk about how they're, they're unapologetic for um, creating the 
advanced world or something like that. I can't oh. remember the language exactly, but it's that, like almost a eugenic sort of. Uh, yes, it's yeah, so yeah. just no, ridiculous. I know. Yeah, like we're unapologetic that we created the greatest society that ever existed. Okay, yeah. well, you didn't create shit. But they take out a little bit of language, just a little bit enough that it's not like overtly like white supremacist. Yes, because they have to win over some some uh, some people, of course. And no, yeah, well, I think part of that is that we have created racism right as a really bad thing in society. Like even racists know it's bad to be racist. So they want to <laughs> rationalize and justify right. how they're they're not actually racist. But you have to admit. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not actually racist, but you have to admit that those people. Right. And, <laughs> and so exactly. And so that's the way I kind of like, I kind of like to look at it in this lens here is that back, uh, you know, with, with, with Joe Wilson, we look at him, he was a KKK member. It's like, okay, well now we know, I mean, there's no de denying that you you're fucking racist. Like, I know the KKK was very prevalent back then, but you were racist. The Proud Boys are the KKK. part of the KKK. And yeah, exactly. So that's why I'm look. you know, if you look at it in that lens, yeah. right. And, you know, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah. But I mean, so we, to come back to the inauguration, I, yes. I, I agree with you that calling, calling that out is important and, you know, saying in a way, what I heard Biden trying to say, but not quite getting there, and I'll be excited when we have an administration that can actually get there, is he's, he's edging towards this idea that we are an anti-racist nation, right? Organizations call themselves anti-racist organizations. We consider ourselves anti-racist. And I, I really think that Biden is, is walking us up to that line and we need to walk through that and past mm -hmm. it and start doing the work uh, to actually get this nation to be anti-racist. But I, I think that he's at least providing some context in which we can start to build the principles of anti-racist work mm -hmm. upon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and where some people are not going to think that that's enough he has spoken more to institutional racism in his first week in office than I remember any president in history speaking to it. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes Barack Obama. It, well, yeah, and he had a probably particular set of challenges there. Um, yes, he absolutely. But I still think that we have to give yeah, Joe totally Biden the, the respect that he deserves yeah. for being willing to say something. Those words have meaning and those words have been avoided by politicians mm -hmm. for the history of this country for a very specific reason because they benefit from institutionalized and systemic racism mm -hmm. so the fact that he's even calling that out is a step in the right direction now does action have to happen do we have a long ways to go of course but if we are at least beginning to have the conversation that's meaningful in bureaucracy and that's meaningful in our society, mm -hmm. right? Those, those are 
the the cornerstones in which we can start to build off of and he's 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 laying that foundation so for me that's that's what i saw in that that speech was really this this inspirational um kind of american idealism mm-hmm. combined with this foundation of we we are we are this nation we believed we were four years ago when we elected the first black president we are still that nation today four years later after everything that has happened including a white supremacist insurrection mm-hmm. and today we elect the first black asian female mm-hmm. vice president to this nation yeah. he he's leading us down that path and, and that's how i saw his speech not only did uh, Biden have a wonderful speech uh, to break down, but we had uh, a poet who I believe came on after Biden, uh, the poet of um, Amanda Gorman, uh, 22 years of age. She was just incredible. And it was just every single note she hit was speaks, speaks exactly to what's happening in this country right now and directly relates to the conversations right now um yeah so just just incredible so we'll we'll break that that down and so there's a lot to unpack there there's a lot to unpack but let's start by unpacking her outfit because <laughs> you know i i'm just the fashionista tonight but you know she came out and just looked amazing bright yellow beam of sunshine um and I don't, I don't care what anybody else on that stage said at all. Uh, if the only thing that the world is going to take away from that inauguration, it needs to be uh, Amanda Gorman. She mm-hmm. just, um, it was, it was everything. Yes. Oh man. And so I was, I was listening and just listening to it just before. Uh, we hopped on here and man, it, it just, yeah, it, it just got me a few times, <laughs> you know, just, just uh, some of the, some of the uh, quotes in there is just, just got me. And and so I wrote a few of them down to share, of course, and break down. Um, I love this one because it, it's, we lift our gaze, not, to what stands between us but what stands before us yes so oh man so it's it's like this we're always constantly looking at what's dividing us what's um you know what uh what your you know neighbor uh is you know what you know what they're watching for television or for news and stuff like that, or, you know, kind of like, kind of quote, quote, and bite, in there in that, uh, in his speech, but it, it's that we always look to these divisions and not to what binds us together and what we need to fight together because we need each other. And so it's this ode to the ode to democracy. Yeah, it really was an ode to democracy. And I, it is a, a conversation of togetherness. I, I think the way she performed it was just so amazing too. And in the spoken word, um, 
style you know it was it was not like a traditional boring like poem reading um, right it was it was truly spoken word and it was just um it was lyrical and uh, the the meaning behind every syllable could be felt it was it was beautiful and, and your mm-hmm. quote is is a great one i i think her quote <laughs> yes sorry the quote you <laughs> chose I... of hers yeah <laughs> um is, is a great one and i i think you bring up you know a, a point about her in the sense of her talking to once again this american idealism but she she took so much from kind of the the historical movements of the past and you know i i could hear the voices of history come through her mm-hmm. mlk yeah i was and, yeah yeah and and Malcolm X, sure. And um, you know, even going back to, she had some quotes from Hamilton in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, she yeah, she did. That's right. She just really was able to to weave a tapestry of words um, that came out looking like democracy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and to go to, to speak to the outfit <laughs> as well as that, um, that yellow uh, outfit, it represents that um, this dawning of a new day. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I, just, you know, from my uh, point of view, I guess this way I see it is this dawning of a new day. Um, the, the future can be bright if we, um, what's that quote that you that you had pulled at the other um well i pulled one because that's what i pulled a, i pulled a couple and i i think it's yeah. really there's a lot but um the one i have up right now is if we're to live up to our own time then victory won't lie in the blade but all the bridges we've made mm. that is the promise to glade the hill we climb, if only we dare, it's because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It is, it's the past we step into and how we repair it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought when I was going through some of these, um, this one speaks to me because it, it talks like you're saying, a kind of her vision of looking past the divide here she's talking about um kind of the the conflict the blade um but instead we need to focus on all the bridges that we've made right mm-hmm. so she's she's really looking at that how to how do we how do we bridge the divide um but she's also speaking to to do that uh we have to step into the past and repair it Yes. Like we, we have to learn from history is what I'm taking from her. We have to recognize that we have lessons that we have learned and we have to live by them. And if we don't, then we are bound to live them again. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, for 22, the depth of that uh, is impressive. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's exactly it is that, 
I, I, I love that she puts that um, in, in a sense a warning, right? A warning uh, to us for what we leave after, right? For our um, generations to follow us. And that's kind of the quote that I pulled here was, we've seen a force that would destroy our nation rather than share it and would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. And so that's that warning, I think, think that it's not this like, hey, let's move on. Like, let's all you know, play patty cakes. Um, no, it's, it's, you know, realize this all that if, if succeeded, it's, we're, we're done. It, it was over. <laughs> and, and this has not been the first time, of course. And so I think she really, like you were saying, she really, um, you know, stresses the point that it, it can happen again if we do not learn from these failures of the past you know the whole history you know condemned to repeat it blah 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 right yeah. but i shouldn't say blah 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 but <laughs> you know that it's starting to feel that way though right and i wonder if yeah. all generations uh as they grow older start to feel like this mm -hmm. but I, I i really hate that we're still having these fucking conversations <laughs> Yes. yes. Right. Like, yes. At, at what point are we as a nation, not as a group, not as a political party, but as a nation, when are we going to accept truth for truth? And history teaches us truths, right? We know that oppression and discrimination do not lead our country into places of success. Mm -hmm. the, the civil rights movement is, is a turning point in the history of the United States of growth and wealth and uh, peace amongst mm -hmm. our people like we've never seen before. Yeah. Now, did we get complacent? And allow it to just simmer and, and not finish the work that was started during that time. Hell yes, we did. Yeah. But that's a lesson we can learn from. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Amanda Gorman, the hill we climb, quiet isn't always peace. All right. Adding to the historic day was uh, a few executive orders that were signed, or not a few. There was quite a bit <laughs> um, by the by, by Biden, um, and there's been some sense, of course, but uh, focusing on the ones that were um, that happened on the day of were uh, uh, reversal of some of Trump's policies, um, some of the the, the racist uh, Muslim ban, <laughs> um, the uh, was it the, no, I think the transgender uh, military ban was, I think that was- That was not day of. Uh, Paris Climate Accord was Paris day Climate. of. Yeah. Uh, WHO was day of, I believe. Yes, uh, yes. Re rejoining both Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. Uh, the travel ban on Muslims. Yeah, I, believe, yeah. uh, I believe there was a Dreamers. The Dreamers, that's, that's the one I was- Yeah. 
trying to remember there. Yeah. And you know, you, you might actually be right that the military ban on transgender yeah. was signed day of. I, it was at least the day of or the next day. Yeah. Um, some of those, those are friends. some of the big ones that were, were early. Right, early on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And reversing a lot of, well, I think the key point was reversing a lot of the um, policies that were destructive. And he- You know, if, sorry. Ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you, if you really look at those kind of five major um, executive orders in that, uh, I believe first day, you know, he addressed the the climate. Mm-hmm. He addressed the pandemic. Pandemic, yep. So the climate in terms of Paris Climate Accord, pandemic in terms of World Health Organization, institutionalized or systemic racism by addressing the the Muslim ban and the Dreamers, and then he addressed. Uh, LGBTQ plus folks yes. in the military ban, right? So he went right to the heart mm-hmm. of the hate. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. these. And reverse them. Yep. Uh, stroke of a pen. And that's, um, I saw this quote, live by the, uh, live by the Sharpie, die by the ballpoint. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I like that. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. So Trump lived by that Sharpie or tried to rule by that Sharpie, but, uh, the ballpoint pen is stronger than the uh, Sharpie sword. Today, today. And I think that yeah, that's today. important for us to remember, right? This feels good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good movement, right? Just we've talked about this, but we have to recognize that an executive order is, is <laughs> right. just that, right? Right. Um, Biden is wiping out Trump with the executive order and whoever follows Biden will have the ability to do the same. Just like that. And and that's the thing is like, you know, we'll get into this uh, on our next episode a little bit, but it's, it's not going to be like a, you know, the next Republican nominee is not going to be a a Romney or a Nikki Haley. It's going to be like a Tucker Carlson. It's going to be a um, a, a Tom Cotton is, you know, that Josh Hawley, apparently he's not going to run. Bullshit. Yeah, we'll see on that. Um, you know, and so that's the thing is, like you said, it could just easily be undone. And that's why some of the, you know, you see this throughout politics right now is that some of our uh, allies are weary <laughs> still. It's like, okay, yeah, you elected Biden this time, but what does it say four years? Tucker Carlson comes in and is yeah, just as destructive or not, not more. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked enough for, for one episode here, but yeah. I, I think going into this conversation, it's important to recognize that we we have to have change come through legislation. Uh, this is not what the executive branch was supposed to look like. This is not what governing was supposed to look like under the Constitution. Um, we've become a nation that this is the only way we're able to govern uh, because of how ineffective uh, the the Senate, and yeah. it, it really is the yeah. Senate, and I, I want to dig into yeah. that because the Senate is the problem um, in our in our politics right now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the House 
has its own issues in terms of extremism, Mm -hmm. but but the Senate is so structurally flawed at this point that we cannot get the business of the people done. Yeah. And the extremism has kind of poured over into the Senate and there's there's a few. Yeah. I I still, the Senate is still a much different place than the House when it comes to the extremism. But you're right. I mean, Josh Hawley is there, and he's the biggest douchebag on yeah, Capitol Hill, in my my opinion. You know, yeah. given the the white power fist mm-hmm. uh, to his brothers in arms as they storm the Capitol, like fuck oh. off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think that's where I'll end my comments for the day. <laughs> fuck off, Josh Hawley. That is that is a Sean. That's a Sean quote if I ever heard one. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, we will get more into that in our next episode. We'll get more into the predictions over the next uh, two years, four years. Um, and, you know, and just kind of uh, ask them, ask some deep questions of what's going to happen, what we feel like is going to happen, what we can forecast. Um, so we kind of will just roll from there. And uh, I'll end you guys with. Um, another Amanda Gorman quote, um, it kind of really speaks to uh, the what, what we are all about here on this podcast. And Fuck up, Josh Holly. <laughs> That's the quote. <laughs> all right. Um, so... Um, it goes, we will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the wind-swept northeast, where our forefathers first realized a revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover. And every known nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful when a day, when the when day comes we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it and with that we will see you next episode may peace love and joy be with you all cheers Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Really hope you enjoyed. If you want to send us any uh, listener feedback or anything like that, you can send it to trickleuppoliticsshow at gmail.com. That is trickleuppoliticsshow at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. You're awesome.